0: what's up guys it's cg kid so in this podcast my guest is jessica kent she operates a youtube channel it's a prison channel that also has addiction recovery furthering your lifestyle content i think it's awesome in this podcast she shares her various experiences with heroin from the positive effects to the negative effects her lifestyle in heroin addiction what caused her to get sober and how she stays sober today as she's been sober for over seven years first question I have for you is what are the effects of heroin as detailed as you can go and from like low doses to high doses uh, what was the allure that made it so addictive as well
1: so for me personally using heroin was like how a lot of people re- relate it to taking a hot bath or just being relaxed for me it was like the ultimate like I'm calm I'm relaxed all these thoughts in my brain are just numb and I don't have to think about anything and it was just almost like heroin was just my best friend, you know, like, it sounds so stupid, but I felt really, really calm and relaxed. And yeah, my brain just shut off. And that that's something that gave me so much relief. What I now know is depression and anxiety. Back then, I just thought like, this is what I need. Like this makes my brain calm. And it made me feel comfortable in my own skin. Like it felt like heroin was always meant for me, if that makes sense. Probably not.
0: And then like with the higher doses, Mm -hmm. Uh, where people are, like, nodding off? Yeah. Did you you experience that, right? And did you go into, like, dream states, or what is it that's, what's that experience like?
1: So I wouldn't say it was, like, a dream state, but I would say I would nod out, and there would be moments where I didn't even know I was nodding out. Like, other people would tell me, like, wake up, or they'd hit me, or I would be nodding out in the worst time. Thanksgiving dinner, I'm nodding out. And it was, for me, just, like, a normal thing. Like I thought it was normal. I started um, drinking alcohol when I was like twelve and thirteen, and that led to pills. And pills were really difficult for me to get, and heroin was easier for me to get. So I kind of grew up on it. And for me, I was normal. But everyone else is like, wake the fuck up! Like you're nodding out. It's Thanksgiving. Can you not be that person right now? And um, I wouldn't like hallucinate, but I would. Um, I would feel like I'm. I'm thinking of. <sighs> I'm thinking of amazing things that I'm going to do later, but it wasn't like I'm seeing ghosts or anything. I wouldn't hallucinate, but I would nod out and, and think of really clever things. And I thought I was so intelligent and I had like one up on everyone. I had the secret and it wasn't, it wasn't shit. I mean, I wasn't thinking of anything profound. I wasn't, I wasn't super intelligent, but my mind kind of fooled me into thinking like, this is the key to my brain. It's yeah. so hard to explain. Were they
0: uh were, were these revelations like senseless or are there any you could make sense out of and look back on?
1: I think one that I remember the most was I always knew back then that I was going to die young. And everyone would come in and they'd find me dead, and it would be like this morning of this great person that did these great things, but I didn't do anything. You know, like I would compare myself to Kurt Cobain, and you know he's he was an amazing artist that created all these amazing albums and it, like a a person that people would want to learn about. And now I know I would be quickly forgotten. I didn't do anything, but I thought I'm going to die young. And that's the greatest blessing in the world is to die young when in reality, death is scary. And I didn't want to die. You know, now that I'm sober, I can see that. But back then, man, you were going to find me dead and it was going to be an amazing thing.
0: Yeah, that's like some of my experience with heroin too, especially at high doses uh, that life didn't – like nothing seemed important. And I had times where I was like, I'm probably going to die from this. Like I I think I'm overdosing, but I just didn't care enough.
1: Yeah, you don't care. I mean I didn't care about death. I accepted it. I was I was anticipating it, and I thought it would be a, a great ceremony of my death. And there were times where um, I would get so high that – That I wouldn't know what day it was. I wouldn't know where I was supposed to be. I wouldn't know if I was driving a car. I mean, I was so out of my mind. I'd be driving down the road and just have no idea that I was driving a car. And then it'd snap, like, back to reality. Like, oh, shit, I'm driving, you know. And it was just a really dangerous thing. I'd be nodding out the worst, most inappropriate and dangerous times.
0: Are there any other times where you nodded out that were just really awkward or dangerous?
1: Um, I think driving was the worst. Driving was definitely the worst. Um, I was on a Greyhound bus one time. This is so random, but... I was in a Greyhound bus one time, and I remember getting off in Port Authority, Manhattan, and there's cops everywhere, and all I want to do is sit down to, like, fall asleep, but there's cops all in Port Authority, and I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to sit down here, and there was a homeless guy really close to me, and I just sat down on the side of, like, this bus station and, like, nodded out and fell asleep, and no one bothered me, no one said anything, like, it was totally fine, but, like, looking back, I'm like, how did no one wake me up? Like, there's cops everywhere, there's people everywhere, and I'm just nodding out in a sea of strangers
0: what was dangerous for me is I would have cigarette burns everywhere because I would nod out while smoking and then like drop the cigarette wake up ah ah Mm -hmm. Uh, so what was your preferred route of administration and which ones have you tried
1: so at first I would just snort pills well I'm sorry at first I would swallow pills that was my thing I do it occasionally at a party and then my friend's like why are you swallowing it when you could snort it So then I did that for a little while, and I thought in my insanity that I wasn't an addict because those people over there that shoot heroin, those are the addicts, and someone should go help those people. I'm fine. And lo and behold, uh, I ended up shooting heroin for the first time at 17, and that was it. Uh, That was it for me. I just wanted to shoot heroin and shoot pills and shoot anything I could get, and I was so addicted to the process of shooting heroin, like, Taking it out of the bag, putting it in the spoon, stirring it up, cotton, needle, putting it in my arm, that was almost like God, it sounds so weird. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> that for me was like sex. Like I loved it. There was I was just addicted to the whole process. That was my that was my boyfriend. That was my best friend. Like that was my thing. So do you know how cigarette smokers kinda like the, the hand to mouth exchange and like they're kind of addicted to that? That's what my needle was. It was it's like my fucking pacifier or something. And I just always had to carry it with me. I always had to have it. I didn't feel okay if I didn't have a needle. Even if I was looking for drugs and I didn't have drugs, it was okay as long as I had a rig because eventually I'd get it. So I would feel really anxious and, like, not okay if I didn't have a needle. But I shot um, from 17 to 23.
0: Oh, and then I know some people smoke it. I never have personally. Me neither. Yeah, but I've seen it where they're doing it on the foil.
1: Mm-hmm. it's like, saw- that, that
0: just too much work even shooting up was uh, quite a bit of work for me because I would miss veins in the beginning and get those blisters and like my arm would get all fucked up <laughs>
1: yeah yeah, I had scars. I mean, I've tattooed over most of them, but I had scars, like, all the way down my arm. I have scars on my hands, scars on my feet, and I would shoot up everywhere. I would, it'd be summertime, I'd be wearing a hoodie, and if it was, if I wasn't wearing a hoodie, I would take makeup, and I would color correct and put makeup over my arms. And I never wore, like, makeup on my face, so I would wear more makeup on my arms than I ever did on my face, just to try to hide the fact that I am really sick.
0: Mm. Uh, so how would you compare heroin to prescription opiates? I'm sure you've abused both, like as far as swallowing heroin, not, you know, of course prescription opiates have a lot of filler acetaminophen. So it's like hard to shoot those up. But Mm -hmm. if you were swallowing both, how would you compare heroin and which prescription opiate would you say is the closest Are all, all of them similar?
1: I mean, all of them are, wow, that was English. All of them are similar, um, but OxyContin for me was the closest. So in upstate New York, like seven years ago, I was able to get Oxy powder, and it was really good. It was really strong, and I actually switched from heroin to Oxy powder, and man, it was ten times stronger than the heroin I was getting because the heroin I was getting was stomped on and it was weaker. So for me, it was just way better. Um, before I found the Oxy powder. It was really hard to shoot up pills. They would almost make them Skittle-like back then, and you couldn't shoot them. It was, like, impossible to do that. So the only reason I started to use heroin is because I couldn't get pills. And then we had this influx in Oxycontin powder come in, and it was packaged and sold the same exact way as heroin. And I was so addicted to that, and it was really hard. Um, I was a dealer. I was a drug dealer, and I went to prison for being a drug dealer. But I had to make it look like I wasn't using, which was like the hardest thing for me. Um, but the feeling of it was something I couldn't even escape. And I feel like every single time I shot up, I was trying to feel the first time, like the first time was the best time. And I was like chasing it. I was chasing that high, chasing that feeling and I couldn't get it. And for me, oxy powder and heroin was so physically addicting and it just took its toll on me. You know, I knew if I woke up and I didn't have anything, I'm staying in bed all day and I'm going to be sick. So that drive to get more was just a lifestyle that I never want to go back to. So
0: if like, you know how they do the Coca-Cola versus Pepsi thing? If somebody yeah. were to do Oxy versus heroin, would you be able to, to tell
1: I mean, I would die because I've been seven years sober. Well,
0: uh, hypothetically in the past, like when you were using our prescription opiates, like uh, could you really tell much of a difference between Vicodin and heroin?
1: I feel like I would because I was so well versed on how I felt and the potency of it. So heroin for me was a little bit like below the OxyPotter that I was doing. So um, yeah, I feel like I could tell.
0: You could tell. What would be uh, the difference you would think?
1: It would just be strength, you know. So if I would take like a a hydrocodone or a Vicodin, I wouldn't even feel it because my tolerance was so, so, so high. I had to do a lot to feel it and a lot to not be sick. So I just feel like for me, the strength, I would be able to tell the difference.
0: Yeah, and I feel feel like that's what made heroin more addictive to me was simply that it was cheaper.
1: Mm -hmm. Because
0: like you said, the strength, it's easier to get, I don't know, like a gram of heroin is a lot of prescription pills worth. But it actually comes out to be cheaper. Mm-hmm. And that's like one of the big allures. Um, so uh, how much were you using at your peak on a daily basis?
1: So the oxy powder was packaged the same way heroin was. I'd be doing about four bundles a day.
0: Four bundles. What is a bundle?
1: Um, I don't even remember.
0: <laughs> I'm just...
1: I've been sober for so long. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, that's
0: good though that you don't remember. <laughs> it's sounds It's going
1: to bother me.
0: Yeah. What did your average day look like in heroin addiction? Just walk us through like what your average day would be like from waking up to going to bed.
1: Well, the minute I woke up, I was looking for my stuff. I had to get high before I even went to the bathroom. Before I went pee, before I washed my face, brushed my teeth, ate breakfast, I would shoot up. That was the second. I mean, the minute my eyes were open, I have to shoot up. So I wouldn't even get out of bed. I would just sit up in bed, get high, and then slowly make my way to the rest of my day, brush my teeth, get ready. Um, I was also a dealer. So my day looked like selling, selling drugs and sneaking off to the bathroom to do drugs. And I would do like, say I didn't have to sell and I'm just staying in my apartment. I would shoot up every hour almost. And it was like a ritual like, Oh, it's two o'clock. I can shoot up now when I shut up at one. So I would still function on heroin. I would still eat. I would still drink liquids. I, it was kind of um, just a piece of me. I felt like, you know, like I am nothing without heroin, and it was my normal. I was, I felt normal. I felt fine. I could maybe go see some friends, maybe go out to the bar, maybe drink. And for me, um, for me, I, I saw myself deteriorating, and I saw myself just getting really, really bad. But I was in complete denial of it. Like I just didn't want to believe that I had a problem. I wanted to believe that I'm stronger than everyone else. I have it. I'm good. I can handle it. And it got to the point where I was so I was so sickly looking that I just kind of beat myself up over it and I was so depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. My business that I had selling drugs just took a crash. I got into a lot of debt. Um, I think when I left New York, I had a $30,000 debt just hanging over my shoulders because now I can't sell as much because I have to do four bundles a day. My boyfriend has to do four bundles a day and I would, we, we would use together. We were very codependent. So if we were high, everything was fine. Our day was normal. If we were not high, we were fighting and we hated each other. And it was just a roller coaster of emotion and fights and drama and the stress and the danger of being in debt. So it just really weighed on me. I don't yep. know if that answered your yeah,
0: question. Yeah, it did. And uh, so it, it sounds like when you're under the influence, you were actually like able to function within reason, but the second you weren't under the influence, you would just like crash and like get miserable. I was,
1: yeah, and I was a really angry person. And you could piss me off like in a second. I would get so mad at you in a second, and I truly believe it was because of my drug use. So it didn't matter if I was high or sober. If you'd said something to me that was kind of like, A jab or you question my addiction or you just had anything that kind of upset me, said to me, I would punch you in the face. I mean, I was violent. I was hostile. And my family and friends just didn't even know how to approach me because of my anger. So not only is there this horrible addiction, but now I'm a really angry, really violent, pissed off person that's in a rage half of the time. So people would just tiptoe around me. They didn't know what to say to me. They didn't know um, if I was going to storm out or break a window or run off and disappear for a year. It was a very hostile thing that I had to go through that my family had to go through. And now looking back, I can see the hell that I put them through. But back then I'm like, it's your fault. You pissed me off. You shouldn't have said that. And it was completely fine to me to smash out your car window when you said the tiniest thing. Mm.
0: And then uh, have you ever overdosed?
1: Yeah. Uh, So I overdosed One night, I went to a bar, like a crack shack, hole-in-the-wall bar, and I don't really remember anything besides closing the door and mixing up my shot, and I mixed up my shot, and I remember putting it in my arm, and the next thing I know, I am outside, I'm on the ground, strangers are in my face, they keep saying my name over and over again, and I'm so confused, and I'm also... In so much pain that I can't even stand it. Like I just felt like someone just hit me by a car. I got hit by a car, and I'm confused. And I try to go up, like stand up to move, just to get these people out of my face. Like why are you yelling at me? Why are you in my face? I go to stand up and they tell me to lay down. And they're trying to like, they're trying to tell me what happened. Like, do you remember your name? Do you know your name? Do you know where you are? And they're asking me all these questions, and it was really, it was really hard. We now know that I was Narcaned. And I, um, instead of thanking these people that pulled me out of this bar bathroom, I told them to get the fuck out of my face, to get away from me, stop touching me. And I stumbled off and I went to get high again. I didn't even connect the dots. Like you died today. You died today. Like, why, why are you screaming at these people that saved your life? Why are you you know, I just, I couldn't think about that. All I thought was, I'm in pain, I need to get high. They they gave me something that made me go through withdrawal and I need to, per- like, I need to stop that. So immediately I just used again and it was, it was scary. It was scary looking back to think that I could have died and thankfully I didn't. But when you overdose, you're in so much pain. I mean, physically it felt like, it was worse than any withdrawal I had ever felt. And physically I was in massive pain that had to stop immediately.
0: Hmm. It's scary. Uh, So what going into the withdrawal, what was the withdrawal like, like as specific as possible with like symptoms, uh, like psychological and physical symptoms?
1: So your brain, before you actually go through the physical withdrawal, your brain is telling you, "You you're going to be sick if you don't get this. And it's kind of like this, this demon on your shoulder, like, go get it, you're going to be sick, go get it, you're going to be sick. And it's like a, a, an obsession almost. So I would be obsessing to get a re-up or obsessing to get Suboxin, And back then I would use these stop sign Suboxin pills. You know, they were orange and I would use those if I didn't have a re-up. But there were so many times where I didn't have it. So my brain is like, you're going to go through that. So the, the mental side of it was really tough. But then gradually I would start to shake kind of, um, kind of like how alcoholics are if they don't have a drink. So I'd start to shake. My body would hurt really bad. It's like the flu times 10 so not only would I have flu-like symptoms, but my legs would be – it's called restless leg syndrome. So my legs would be hurting. I can't stop moving them, and it feels like, like I broke my legs, like my bones are breaking. I would vomit. I would have painful diarrhea, not just like you have the runs. Like your entire insides are just hurting so bad, and you know you have to take care of your body. You know you have to drink liquids and you have to eat, but the thought of doing that is so cringy because you know you're just going to throw it right back up so i would i would be dehydrated on top of the withdrawal and it just felt so i mean like the flu times 10 the flu on steroids basically
0: yeah i saw on your channel that you went through it in jail once
1: many times yeah
0: many times mhm that must suck
1: it sucks yeah cuz you can't you can't get into the hot bath so if i was in the street and i was withdrawing i would try to get into a hot bath a few minutes after I would get into a hot bath, I would be extremely hot, sweating, couldn't stand it, needed to get out of it. So then I would get dressed, I'd get back in bed. Now I'm freezing cold and shaking and I'm like, I'm convulsing almost because I'm shaking so hard and then I'm like, Well will get back in the hot bathtub and you'll feel better. Then you get in the hot bathtub and you're sweating so bad and it feels like you're in Texas and your face is <laughs> melting off. So oh. it's painful. You can't get comfortable. You can't rest. You can't sleep. It's just, it hurts.
0: Yeah, Texas sucks. I hate it. When
1: they were, um, excuse me, I just ate McDonald's. Oh. Um, they were, like, very obsessed over over getting money. Maybe they could sell DVDs. Maybe they could sell an Xbox, PlayStation, whatever they have to get money for it. And I'm from a town where there's a little money, a little opportunity, no careers. It's really, really hood or ghetto. And um, when I started selling you know, large quantities of drugs. I couldn't go around people because they would be like, Jess, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. You have to give me this. You have to help me. You have to do that. And I had to separate myself from really anyone that was in that culture and in that life because they're trying to sales talk you. They're trying to get drugs. They're trying to, you know, sell all their things to get money to pay for the drugs. I mean, it really is just centered around. Where is our next high coming from? Who's gonna to go to the pharmacy to get needles? Who's gonna do that? Can we drive? who's gonna get a car ride to go to this city to get this drug? I mean, it, it really is just an obsessive thing.
0: Yeah, and when they when they had the drugs, so when you guys were using together, what would you be doing?
1: A lot of people would call me and ask me to shoot them up. And I at first, I'm like, of course, I'll help you. I don't want you to be sick. And then I kind of, like, laid back with that. Like, I'm not going to help you anymore. And if you can't do it, just snort it. You know, I didn't want to help people further. um, I didn't want to further other people's addiction. And I was also a very selfish person. I was very um, self-serving. I didn't want to go help you ever. So um, when they would be using together, it would just look like the most depressing shit ever. We're just all nodding out. or We're all just kind of, like, kind of tired, kind of sleepy, and... Some people would um, do certain, like, they would be, like, compulsive with certain things, whether that's, like, maybe they have to go clean or they really have to go to the store to get soda. Like, it just, there really is no center to the conversation. Everyone's kind of off in their own little world or they're kind of just walking around. Some people, some person might leave and not come back for six hours. Like, there's really no, like, um what's that word? There's no there's no thought process between anything. It's people are rambling on about things that don't matter. You know you know what I mean. I don't know yeah. what I'm trying to say.
0: I've heard some people oh. say that sex on heroin is awesome. That wasn't my experience. Is
1: yeah, that... I really didn't want to be messed with. You know, I just wanted yeah. to be left alone.
0: So. Have you met anybody that doesn't like heroin? Because with meth or pretty much any drug you name off. Uh, pe- some people say, I don't like cocaine. I don't like meth. I don't like drinking, but I've never heard anybody say, I don't like heroin.
1: Well, um, so I'm dating a recovered addict as well. He has five years or six years sober and he was a, he was a meth addict. He hated downers. He hated how it made him feel. So I have met people that mm-hmm. either they really like uppers or they really like downers. They don't like to mix the two. And I've also seen judgment with that. You know, some people are like, oh, I would never do heroin. I was this kind of addict. Mm-hmm. Or I would never do meth. I was this kind of addict. When it's like we're kind of the same though. Like we're not as different as you might. You might think, you
0: know? Yeah, in my meth circles, we look down on people who used heroin. I didn't, but in general, they'd be like, someone would try heroin, they'd be like, oh, you tried heroin? Gross.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when you're smoking meth right now, bro.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Do you have any, like, bizarre experiences that stand out that, that heroin caused, or just crazy stories, or something that happened that was just like, what the hell, or just showed that you know, this is as addictive as it can be.
1: It's really hard for me to, like, think back to it because it has been a long time. And I was just kind of engrossed in being a drug dealer. Like, I was obsessed with it. I thought I was going to be Pablo Escobar. I was going to be George Young. I was going to be Freeway Rick Ross. I was going to be these dealers that I looked up to. And I put them on a pedestal. I was going to be a millionaire. I was going to make all this money. And for me, I kind of have a hustler mentality. And I just thought it's not going to take me down. I'm not going to be an addict. I'm going to sell. And I would put myself in circles of people that had something to offer me. So if you didn't have heroin or you didn't have a large quantity of heroin, I didn't want to go around you. You have no purpose in my life. And I, you know, half my life was just spent trying to hide an addiction that was so bad. And the other half was spent trying to make millions of dollars selling drugs. Mm -hmm. So my life isn't like It wasn't like the typical addict because I had two very different sides of my brain where I'm obsessed. I don't see any other paths to success. I don't see anything else. I see I'm going to be George Young. I'm going to be Pablo Escobar. That's all I can see 10 years down the road. So I I was enthralled with drug dealers and going to different cities and 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 buying large quantities of heroin that was my passion it was my driving force was how much heroin can I get how much can I sell how much money can I make so I was just as addicted to money as I was heroin
0: Uh, well I mean of course like what in addiction like I went through multiple bottoms I always hear like hitting your bottom and yeah. uh, But for me, it was like a bunch of experiences. What were some of your lows? Just like times where you said you were done, you might have kept using after that or took a break or whatever. But what were those experiences?
1: So every time I would try to stop, I I was really good about stopping for two weeks, 30 days, six months even. I was really good at stopping myself. And it was almost like, A piece of me died. I didn't know who I was without it. I felt so uncomfortable in my own skin that I couldn't stand it. I hated myself. And every time I would stop using heroin, I would drink because I didn't know what else to do. And I I truly felt like my best friend died. Like I just buried my best friend. I just broke up with the love of my life and I couldn't stand it. So some of my, um, some of my lows were, I decided I was going to quit being a dealer I was going to quit being an addict. I was going to move to Iowa and be with my boyfriend and his son. We were going to have a family. I was going to be fine. Everything's great. Like I'm I'm definitely quitting heroin. And I went out there and I was so just not okay. I was so depressed, so out of my mind. I couldn't stand how I felt. And I found myself back in New York within 4 or 5 months, homeless, staying at this crack house and that for me was a huge blow to my ego because I was always a dealer and I was always someone that had money. So I found myself at, you know, this, this trap house I was staying on this couch. It was really dirty and that was a huge blow to my ego because I always had money. I was a drug dealer. I was this, I was that. I was far superior to the other addicts that you need to go help. And because I had quit selling, I didn't have any money. And Within the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of being back in New York, I could not not get high. I had to get high. So um, I had a friend take pity on me and just give me heroin. And I felt okay, you know. But I was I was okay with not eating. I was okay with being homeless. I was okay with staying on this couch that probably had, like, bugs on it. Like, who even knows? It was disgusting. And I just had a little suitcase of belongings, clothes and maybe like one extra pair of shoes and like a couple little things, a couple little odds and ends. That was what my belongings had been whittled down to. And I felt like I felt like a loser. I couldn't stand it. So I immediately had to get put back on, which is um, I got more drugs. I got my dealer to front me more drugs and I was right back in the mix. But during that time when I was homeless, I would crash on different people's couches. I would watch people um, take cocaine and make it crack. And I was kind of addicted to just the hustle of that, watching people make crack. And for like two solid months, I'm homeless, didn't know where my next meal was coming from, but that's okay because if I have heroin, what's the problem? There's no problem. I don't need a sandwich. I don't need a bottle of water. I'm totally fine as long as I have heroin. So that was just a a really low low for me. And once I started making money, there's no problem anymore. There's no, like, I'm not an addict anymore because I have money and because I have my own place. Like, there's nothing wrong. Everything's good. Got heroin. Got mm-hmm. money.
0: What was the bottom that ultimately led to your decision to be sober? Or what was the moment? Like, what? That's that's pretty much the question. I'm taking yeah. a long way to get to a short question.
1: <laughs> so I ran from charges in New York. I had three or four felony charges that have since gotten and dropped. But I ran from charges there. And I went to Arkansas and I got clicked up with some people and I was selling meth in Arkansas. That led to my arrest and I got arrested with two ounces of meth. I got arrested for possession with a 10 to deliver, three delivery charges, and a gun. And that. Jesus,
0: you're so cute. It's hard. (laughs) Not that it discriminates, but Jesus.
1: Yeah, I, I told you, I wanted to be a drug dealer. I wanted to be the best drug dealer and my record reflects that. I was pretty good. So, um, that should have been the turning point for me. I should have just like, oh my God, you're in jail. You're going to prison. Like, stop. It wasn't. So a couple weeks after I had been in jail, I didn't feel right. I'm coming down off of meth and Roxy's now because I would speedball and something else felt wrong. Like I, I have detox in jail so many times, like this is not anything new to me, but I felt like something was wrong. And I went to the nurse and they took a pregnancy test. And they said, that's what's wrong. You're pregnant. Get out. And I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. I'm not pregnant. Like with a baby, I'm not pregnant. Your test is wrong. No way is that is that possible. And still in that moment, I thought like this bitch is crazy. I'm not pregnant. No way. No how. Definitely not pregnant. Can't go to prison pregnant because no one does. Like I had this complete disconnect. I had no idea how to go to prison pregnant. We can do prison. We can't do prison in a baby. Like I I can't. So, um, sure enough, I was pregnant and I spent my entire pregnancy in jail during the nine months of my pregnancy. I still like, didn't, I still didn't want to be sober. I still didn't know who I was. I was really uncomfortable in my own skin and I still had that, that mentality, that dealer mentality, that inmate mentality, that grimy mentality. And, um, my turning point for me was June 12th. 2012 when my daughter was born and the minute I saw her face, I'm like holy shit, I can't be this person anymore. Like this little person needs me. I have got to change my life and when I saw her I fell in love. My entire pregnancy I was in denial that there was even a baby there you know, because I couldn't think about it because I'm in prison. I have to focus on being in prison so when she was born and I saw her face, I just thought it's not just you anymore. You need to stop being selfish and you need to change your life and I I've been sober ever since. My daughter is now seven years old, and I am so grateful to be alive and watch her grow up.
0: That's awesome. Uh, so how, how do you stay sober? How do you, uh, do you work any kind of program or anything like that, or like, what do you do?
1: So the first two years after I got released from prison, I did work a program that was also mandated. Um, I was kind of forced to do a program. I was told, I got, I pulled out to a halfway house. The rules of that halfway house were that I go to meetings, And even after I moved out, I kind of just wanted to stay there. I was working two jobs, and any spare time that I had, I wanted to go to a meeting just to be around um, positive people. So, and get little messages here and there, but I had already made up my mind that I was going to stay sober. And I think the only challenge I had when I first got out of prison was... I'd kind of established myself, and I'm not flexing, I'm not bragging. I just had a reputation, and I had offers to sell drugs. I had people from prison saying, use my name, go to this house, they'll put you back on. And when I was in a halfway house, no money, like I was broke, starving, still eating cup of soup in the halfway house, like trying to get my daughter out of DHS custody, it was a really big thing to say no to. I just wanted to go back to the money but I can't just go back to the money because I also am am a drug addict. So saying no then was really tough and since then I have just created a really good life. I have completely disconnected my old life, cut off all the ties, I don't talk to people from my old life that are either dealing or using. And I've just been able to stay clean. And every day I'm just so grateful and so blessed to not have that addiction hanging over me. And I can't even fathom using it anymore. It's almost like a bad dream. Like all that crazy shit is just gone. And what's left is a mom, a really boring mom that goes to bed at 9 a.m. And I love it. Like I'm obsessed with like the mundane, like boring things that I do now.
0: Yeah, it's like you found peace don't mm-hmm. all the extreme ups or extreme lows
1: yeah I did and now like my worst day is if the house is messy you know and I I do still battle with depression and that has been always like a trigger to use Um, but really honestly I have a good support system if I was going at this alone and I didn't have um, my amazing boyfriend who's there for me or I didn't have family looking out for me it would have been different you know I did have to struggle in the beginning but now I just I am able to differentiate between my emotions and say I'm feeling really depressed right now I need help and I need, you know, to work on self-care. And there's a lot of things that I can do if I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling depressed. So learning how my mind works and learning how to battle depression and battle anxiety and, and um, you know, learning how to function as a mother has been a challenge. But my support system is what keeps me clean. I'm also very proud of the community that I've built on YouTube and helping them really helps me too. And I love when people tell me that I am helping them not feel alone because they do that for me too, you know? So I've just built a great community.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So like with, how, where did you find most your support system?
1: Really, it was my own mind at first, you know, and just deciding I'm done. I have to work really hard. There was no low moments for me when I first got out of prison. It was all day, every day, go to work You don't have time to go find heroin or meth or pills or anything if you're at work. So for me, that first year out of prison was really hard. For me, I was like, I'm so depressed. I'm so broke. All I want to do is go use today. Don't go use right now. Go to work. And I would stay at work. And then at, like, noon, I'd be like, okay, you can go get heroin at noon. Noon would come, and I'd tell myself, okay, just go get heroin at 2. Just make it until two. So my first year was like, it wasn't one day at a time. It was literally one hour at a time. I'm pushing myself. I would keep a picture of my daughter on my computer desk, and I'm like, you cannot use for her. Use tomorrow, but today, stay sober for her. The next day, I would tell myself the same thing, or the next day, I would feel okay. So in my really low moments, I just kept my daughter in my mind, and I just, you know, blinders. I worked all day every day. I'd go to work at 8 a.m., go home at 10 p.m., if I couldn't find a meeting, I would just go home and go to sleep. I wouldn't answer the phone, I stayed off social media and I just told myself like there's no way in hell I can go use if I'm really, really busy. So I kept busy and it's been seven years.